JT and Looney Podcast, episode 122. <sighs> you smell that? Oh, man. That is the smell of March Madness in the air. Well, I'm in Los Angeles, and I have five dogs, so it's also the smell of pot, smog, and dog. But it's also the smell of March Madness in the air, and college basketball takes center stage with the tournament finally upon us. Now, if you're looking to bet this year, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your updated odds and information, great college contests, brackets, uh, really cool props. You should see these props. I love the props. Head over to Bet Online, use your phone, or do it at home on your PC. And remember, you get a 50% welcome bonus just for being friends with the JT and Looney podcast. Got to remember that promo code, though, Believe, spelled B L E A V, as in the Believe Radio Network. Bet Online, your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet Online, where the game starts. And now the podcast starts, damn it. Did you go to Denny's and do your brackets at Denny's like you've done year after year after year? I did not go to the diner because I'm <laughs> eating better because I'm working out at that time. Oh, good, uh, good. But I did go to the local gas station and get the USA Today okay. and the Las Vegas Review Journal. But I said this on my radio show, and I'd rather say it here on my podcast, okay. that this sport is down. This sport has a big problem. It's falling into the start of NFL the league year mm-hmm. so Aaron Rodgers Von Miller to Buffalo Chandler Jones to the Raiders JC Jackson and Khalil Mack to the Chargers has knocked the NCAA tournament off of the Monday Tuesday oh. Wednesday before the brackets count on Thursday and how about the selection Sunday with Tom Brady coming up with his news <laughs> oh my god and you're right and you know another thing that doesn't help college basketball and maybe I'm you know maybe I'm just observing the wart on Lincoln's face rather than talking about Lincoln. But I do recall when we were on at night and I would head to the gym beforehand and watch some of these games because we always wanted to see the games. We didn't want to have people give us notes about games. It was very important for you and I to actually watch sports. And I remember I could do 40 minutes of cardio while watching the last three minutes of a basketball game. (laughs) It uh, the the last few three or four minutes of a college basketball game are obnoxious. Yeah, it is pretty obnoxious. Oh, and it takes so long. Oh. It does because they have all these timeouts and they use them in the final minute. Yep. And they set up every shot and it comes down to it. But with college basketball, what they have going for them, the great history of the sport. Yeah. They got blue blood teams like Duke, Kentucky, UCLA. Yep. All these power schools to get in there. They're usually there every year. Kansas, a one seed again. Uh, Gonzaga can't win. They're trying to. They already should have a national championship. They've always been your mascot over the years, disappointing you. Gonzaga. Yeah, I've always pulled for them. I like to see them. They're the little engine that became the big locomotive. Yeah. But the problem yeah. is they play in the West Coast Conference, the WCC with schools like St. Mary's. I always get the call. <laughs> JT, it's a good conference. We have St. Mary's. <laughs> you have St. Mary's or San Francisco. or You have these schools because Gonzaga just crushes them. And the problem with Gonzaga is they come into the tournament winning the WCC, which they play at the Orleans in Vegas. Okay, They okay. play at the Orleans, and there's no, there's no drama because they're supposed to crush everybody. And then they come into the tournament, Whereas the teams that come through the SEC, 
Tennessee could win or a team coming through the ACC like Virginia Tech. Oh, yeah. that There's lots of teams that have come through a chainsaw won't. massacre to get where they've gotten, and Gonzaga isn't one of them. But I do have breaking news. Oh, I love that. I'm picking Duke to win, and I'm on a Whoa. fucking island. And let me tell you why I'm on an island. <laughs> yes, you Every year, everybody picks who? Duke. Yep. Now yep. they're not picking Duke because they're saying that the kids can't handle the pressure of playing for Coach K because the next time Coach K loses, it's his last game. And that's what happened at North Carolina in his final game at Cameron Indoor, that the pressure was so much for those student-athletes that they couldn't do it the last two games. They looked really weak on defense, but I think that's a good uh, loss. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't yeah. think I don't know if there's that much pressure on them. People, they're the, they don't know the history. They're too young. We know the history. They don't know. They're not as nostalgic as we are. They haven't had time to be. They're still young. I, I don't well, think they've got final, as much pressure. It, we're, we're projecting that. Well, the final home game for Coach K, where they lost to North Carolina, yeah. there were fifty former players there. Fifty, you know, and. They kind of crumble, but I'm going to go with Duke, and they're a two seed. I'm not going with a team out of nowhere. I mean, they're a right. two seed. They're not a one seed. But I got Duke beating Arizona in the national championship Ooh. game because I believe in Cinderella stories. And over the last two years, we saw Tom Brady and LeBron James win championships mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. late into their career. This will be the last run for Coach K. I hope the Zags beat him. I don't care. It's just a bracket. I'd like to see the Zags win. But I got Duke beating the Zags. I saw them play earlier this year in Vegas, which was a heavyweight fight. So I'm looking forward to this. I think that Duke could win it. And if they do, it'll be one of the great walk-offs. Would you agree? One of the great walk-offs in sports history. Oh, of course it would. Oh, my God. Could you imagine the drooling while the guys are calling the game when that's happening? It's, it's, uh, it'll be incredible. It'll be And most importantly, the drama, the stories. The stories are the more interesting things in the sports. The unscripted drama, the reality television. It is the original reality television. Sports, these games were going on long before there were cameras has pointed at them and great minds do think alike because i've had my eye on arizona they have a first year coach too, tommy lloyd kind of seamlessly implementing that gonzaga philosophy so there still is a gonzaga influence uh in the finals and it will be through arizona and they do it on offense they do it on great defense they've got an elite college program all the ingredients of a national champion and it'll be a great chicken soup for the soul story for Tommy if Tommy beats Coach K. It would be huge. I mean, yeah. the, the, isn't it amazing that these coaches never win? Tom Izzo, one championship. Oh, one. right. Jim Beheim. Bill Self. Bill Self, one championship. John Calipari, one championship. Yeah. I mean, these guys never win. It's they not win easy. one, and that's their legacy. That's why we, that's why, as you say, we drool over Coach K. And Coach K, it's hard to win there. So I'd like to see Calipari or Bill Self have an opportunity to get there. I pulled for Illinois. My wife went to school there. So our whole house this time of year gets orange and blue. Mm -hmm. She becomes this mad, mad fan. And it's kind of cool to see my wife, my partner in life, who went to Illinois during the flying Illini years. The house just gets excited. She's texting her friend. So I'm pulling hard for the fighting Illini. That'll be fun. It's March Madness always is. And if you remember, if you go back in the hot tub time machine, even when we were tots, when we were tots, uh, Jim Beheim was the coach of the Syracuse Orange. So do what you love and you'll live a long time. And there's no reason a lot of times for 
people to, you know, if you're working at the factory, yeah, retire. But as you can see, these coaches don't. And they live a long time. Now, you know, with Coach K and Beheim are wavering in the breeze, but uh, they, I, I think they shouldn't. I think they'll, neither one of them, you know, as Joe Paterno said, he doesn't, he didn't fish. He had no other interests. And what happened to him after he quit? So I, I, I kind of feel bad for their future because they're going to be, they're going to be really angsty this time of year next year. I really hate being unprepared at anything in life, but I've been right. unprepared for most of my life. Unprepared <laughs> for tasks, whatever it was. I've, I'm not, I, I like to be prepared. I think I am on the radio, but throughout my life, I've been unprepared right. for many big moments, and I feel unprepared talking movies and entertainment with you because you're all about award season. You're right. all about right. Critics' Choice. You're all about the Academy Awards, and you're actually knocking down some movies that I've never even heard of. Oh, yeah, and I've also been seeing, there's been some stuff on Netflix that I've been watching. The number one thing that I want to talk about in terms of great entertainment that at least you'll love, and it is the JT and Looney podcast, you'll love this, and that is Dominic Dunn after the party. Did you see it? I did not. Oh, my God, because most people listening to the sounds of our voice know Dominic Dunn you know, as the Vanity Fair guy, and more so as the guy who covered the O.J. Simpson trial. I don't know how many Vanity sure. Fair readers we have, although you and I are. But uh, it it's always seems to be sitting on your living room table underneath the television whenever I'm there. That seems to be the place for the Vanity Fair. You have it up. I, I read Vanity Fair. It's my favorite oh. go-to on any airplane. I, I read, I read oh, Vanity Fair terrific. cover to cover. And Dominic Dunn has a big part in my life reading all of his columns over the decades. And Dominic Dunn all his life had friends in high places. All of his life. But I didn't I knew there was a history and I knew his daughter was starred in Poltergeist and she got murdered. And that's when he became really interested in the criminal justice system. But he had hit rock bottom and went out to a cabin in the woods and decided to become a writer. And at some point his daughter was murdered. And he knew somebody at Vanity Fair, and she said, take notes. I know you're going to the trial every day. Take notes. And he took notes. And then he submitted what he wrote. And she went, oh, my God. This is genius. This is great writing. And he became their criminal correspondent for high-profile cases from that point on, from originally writing about his daughter's murder in that case. And, but he, had an, he was born in the 20s, so he had an incredible life. In the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s that we didn't know about. So it's a it's just a terrific with parties at his house in Hollywood on the beach. He when he was younger, and I'm 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 giving stuff away here, but it's just because uh, I'm not going to ruin anything with anything I give you. He when he was growing up, something called television came along, and somebody said to him, "You know, they need." They need stage managers. You'll be good at that. And that's how he got to meet every Hollywood star. And he moved to L.A. and produced and wrote some famous movies and uh, mostly producing. And he was more concerned with getting to know and partying with famous people than being a good husband or father, which he got lived long enough where he could admit what a douchebag he was when he was younger and make amends with his uh, his wife and his children. But it is just a terrific, terrific. I couldn't, you know, I like to be, go to bed before 2 a.m. every day because I have an adolescent time clock. <laughs> and uh, 
and I have not, you know, since high school, I have not had to get up early. The only time I've ever had to get up early in my life, I ever would get up early. I, I you know, I organized all college classes later and organized my life. So I never had to get up early unless I was going to be the center of attention. When I did morning drive on extra sports, 1150, I was happy to get up early in the morning. Other than that, I haven't had to. And that kept me up till about two 30 because I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't say I'm going to, I'm going to finish it tomorrow. It was that good. Something I know we've both seen. I've seen two episodes. I don't know if you've seen one or two. Winning time, yeah. the the rise and fall of the Laker dynasty. Oh, good. You jumped right on that second episode, huh? So did I. What'd you it's think? It's incredible the way Andy McKay is just shredding Jerry West. <laughs> yes. and, and I feel like you should get an executive producer yeah. award for that there, but... I mean, and I you know watched Jerry... the first episode before me, and as I watched it, I was laughing, thinking, while you were watching this with Jimmy B in Florida, you must have said, oh, my God, Looney wrote this. <laughs> I mean, I get how you could, uh, you, you could have poetic license <laughs> and make someone out to be someone they're not. But what they're doing to Jerry West, and Jerry West is, happens to be the logo still. Yes. It's not Michael Jordan. It's not the late Kobe Bryant. It's Jerry West. And Jerry West could be gruff, and people talked about how he could be a little bit rough around the edges. He always had a lot of power around the Lakers. So when he right. was the GM and the coach, he deserved that power. He was the most famous Laker, along with Will Chamberlain and Kareem and Magic. But the way they're portraying him on this series, I'm almost checking out because of it. Because John C. Riley playing Jerry Buss. He's terrific. He's waking up. Him waking up at the Playboy Mansion and walking out to the Rolls Royce. Right. I mean, to know that was true is really cool right. if you think about it. But the rest of it, and a young Magic Johnson, and what Magic saw when he came to L.A. from East Lansing with his dad the first time, and now as he's getting to know Los Angeles, right. and you could see how much he loved women, he was starstruck, and how quick celebrity overtake uh, overtook him as he was becoming a brilliant basketball player. I love it. Yeah, and you can't just, you know, with the Jerry West angle on this, a couple of things. Uh, just because it doesn't fit the narrative doesn't mean it's not true. It's upsetting people because it doesn't fit the narrative. And I've always said that the, the narrative was fictional, and that he didn't want to draft Magic Johnson. He was not the architect of the Showtime Lakers. He's always taken credit for that. And I've always told you he's pulled a Tom Looney. Because <laughs> I went to Penn State, and I'll be at cocktail parties, and people will say, yeah, Looney's an Ivy Leaguer. <laughs> because the University of Pennsylvania is an Ivy League school and not Penn State. But I never correct anybody. <laughs> I never. And when people introduce Jerry West at those places, the fancy places where he goes and gets paid $10,000 to speak, they introduce him as the architect of the Showtime Lakers, and he never corrects them. He was not the general manager at the time. He was the coach that could have coached the Showtime Lakers and quit. So, uh, and he didn't want to draft Magic Johnson as the coach. And so, remember, I used to repeat that, and sometimes people got upset when I repeated the truth and so at least people are getting to see that part of it and another part that's 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 truth and gives you a lot of empathy in the second uh, episode is his upbringing yeah is very which which uh, you know which really in his in his book that he wrote in 2011 he really described and opened up about what his demons are and it's it's pretty deep it's pretty heavy I just think it's too sensationalized. I would have liked it more if it was just acted out a little bit more in reality. Is that the right thing to say? It's a, just a little too much for me. And not the background. I think it is a little bit like uh, Saved by the Bell, where they turn around and talk to the camera. 
I like the way the forum looks, you know, yeah. how they make the court look and L.A. back in the day. Look, it takes a lot to make L.A. look like it's in the 80s. It does. I mean, it does. That, that takes a lot <laughs> nowadays to do that with a Tesla at every stoplight and right. the way they're able to pull that off. But we'll see more and more. Hey, I'm watching something, uh, the Andy Warhol Diaries. Oh, great. On Netflix, which is incredible. Did you and... do that upon my recommendation? Or no, did I didn't. You... I, I saw oh, it on Netflix wow. and I was able to knock that out and – you know, what a creative... I think I'm on episode six, but uh, continue, continue. I'm just amazed at the factory and the way he came from Pittsburgh and how Andy Warhol yes. became this artist and how he connected people. Because I'm going to get to another connection story. And he was a master connector. He was. And I love that topic in life that, you know, when he put together the factory and he just started letting all these artists come together with their art and their television and their cameras and all these unique people from Lou Reed to the musicians, and they all just felt comfortable around each other. That means he was a great connector, even though at times in his life he felt like he was an outsider. So when you find a great outsider who's so different and all of a sudden he comes into a space where he connects everybody, I'm fascinated on that topic. Yes, and I've loved every second of it so far. And there was, you know, the Andy Warhol Diaries, which is this, this is based on, I bought those when they came out. I've always had kind of an Andy Warhol obsession. And as you know, you've seen how the Looney Mansion is decorated. It can really, his type of art, if you get arts or just prints of his arts or seriographs, they can really change and cheer up an environment. And so I've always been a huge fan of his art, his style, his mysterious style. One of the things about this, uh, this documentary is the series is episode two you learn a lot more about him than you ever knew because he was always kind of asexual you knew nothing about his personal life you had no boyfriends girlfriends whatever we kind of assumed he might be gay but uh so you actually have names and people in his life who were important that he wasn't able to be proud of uh publicly and so that was interesting to see because i knew a lot about andy warhol but i knew none of that and I like the grit and guts of the 70s into the 80s. Yes. And what was happening at CBGB's. Oh and I love, I, I've seen almost Me too. everything. I've seen almost everything made about Studio 54. I loved all the Studio 54 and to stuff. See him so go good. In there, the Studio 54 and how comfortable he was. And then you mix in what was happening with the music and the drugs and the art. Right. And how he became a socialite and who he was sitting down with and how some of the great artists around the world still didn't take him seriously. I recommend everybody seeing it. I learned a lot about New York. I'm a New Yorker. I live in Vegas, lived on the West Coast almost longer now than I've lived on the East Coast. But anything like that uh, transforms me back to New York in that era, which I find fascinating. And I do remember my friend Bobby growing up saying in New York, a party wasn't officially a party until Andy Warhol showed up. I remember how that's, that, uh, that hit me and you being a party guy and Andy Warhol went to a party every night and that was the key. And the New York post on page six was did Andy Warhol show up at the party? And he kind of, I always wondered if he took a page out of Mark Twain and I've never seen it officially. But I'm just wondering, because Mark Twain had the white suit and the white hair. Andy Warhol had that wig that was very Mark Twainish in his, uh, his final years, and which he didn't know was his final years. And Mark Twain, 100 years earlier, the turn of the century, or 60 or 70 years earlier, turn of the century, a party wasn't a party in New York unless Mark Twain showed up when Mark Twain was living in Manhattan. And Mark Tw with this similar hair and style, I've always wondered 
if Andy Warhol took a page out of Mark Twain's book. And as you know, I have the Mark Twain Elmira 607 connection with with uh, with Mark Twain. So I've uh, I've always even connected those two together. And I'm loving that series. I'm six uh, six episodes in. I want to stay on the connection topic. I just got back right. from my first real vacation in a while. You know, I'm a guy who chases the weekend. You know, I yes. work from Sunday to Friday, and I try to get on a plane and have fun. So I went and saw my parents in Naples, Florida, my wife and I, and I flew into Naples, and I spent time with my mom and dad, which I desperately needed to do because I haven't seen him as much as I'd like to. Right. I played golf with my dad. My dad's about to be 84, and he's hitting a golf ball. He almost got a hole-in-one. Really <laughs> wow. cool on a par three. Left wow. it about two feet, which was a great moment. We got that on video. Did he my get the sister, birdie? He got the birdie. Yeah, thank God. Birdie. Thank God he did. There's nothing worse than getting it close no. and then shanking the butt. So he made the butt. And then my sister, one of my sisters who moved down in that community, be close to my parents. Great to see my brother-in-law and my sister. And we had great after hours at their new house down there. And so many good memories. But I bumped into a couple of my friends who I was down there. And I tried to connect them with my family. And my high school buddy runs a restaurant down there. And now my mom and dad and my sister and brother-in-law go to my buddy's Zen Barbecue, which is this Asian fusion incredible restaurant in Naples Great. pound for pound one of the best I've ever been to you want to talk about sushi coming out in waves and all of this Asian fusion my buddy Mike Kardashian who I went to high school with has this great restaurant and then after that I drove all across the state we rented a car we went through Alligator Alley nice from Naples to Jupiter to see the best man in my wedding Jimmy B spent a night at his place which was great and remind we- people where you met Jimmy B uh, first grade. <laughs> there we go. First grade. You know, we've known each other now officially over 50 years. I think he said it was our jubilee. Or <laughs> That's funny. Then I spent a night at the Hard Rock, Seminole Hard Rock, the big casino in Hollywood, Florida, to see my buddy Dave Honeymeyer, who's a big executive at that property. My wife and I had an amazing night there, the pool, to see the energy in a casino. And then the final four days of the trip, we ended, to, we ended up in Miami where one of my fraternity brothers, who's super successful and like a brother to me, a real brother, fraternity brother, we spent four nights in this incredible pad overlooking Miami Beach on the water, massive balcony, went on boat rides, bike rides, pub crawls, and I connected new friends with my cousin Gino, who was there, and my buddy Mike, who hosted us, and Johnny Mack, who we've met before at the Super Bowl. And I put all these new people together, and they all clicked and they all had a great time. And I felt so fulfilled. And there was only one woman the whole time on the entire trip. My wife. Uh, oh, my, oh wife wow. could have, my wife could have been very angry. Hey, this is our vacation. What are you doing? She's just the opposite. She knows all my friends. She met them all. She was a part of connecting them all again. And she wasn't bitter about it. She never is, as you know. And it made for a great vacation. And then finally, I came home exhausted. When, because it was so much fun that I really got a vacation, but I didn't get the type of vacation you want, which is relaxing. Oh, charging. I went the way I normally go. The other. Yeah. Way. Yeah. It's tough to do that because once you get out, you're so excited. And then your 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 and my uh, inclination is to go out and party. And you can't you can't you can't go home after you get tired after you eat a meal. 
when you're on vacation, even though, you know, it feels good when, you know, during, when you're not on vacation to go home and go to bed after you have a meal at nine or 10 at night. No, 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 no. Give me a Bailey's and coffee and I'm going for, you know, the second gear here. You're funny you said that because one of the times we went on this big yacht, a boat, you know, like you would see in a Miami video when we connected with another yacht and it was a full day on the water and music and there was a chef and great music playing and, uh, I came home. We came back to where we were staying. My wife's like, where's your flip-flops? I pause. She goes, where's your phone? No idea. They left oh, my on, God. Left on the boat. That's how much fun I had. Wow. And I had to go back the next day. So if that's you, when you know oh you're on vacation. Oh, my God. If you leave your phone somewhere, you had a great time. That's a great wow. way to talk about a good vacation. Because normally if I'd lose my phone, I'd freak out. Of course. But I didn't. I had a good idea where it was. Because it was the last place I was on this boat. Well, but that was, do you know how to use Find Your Phone with your iPhone? That's exactly how we found it. My okay. wife downloaded Find My Phone. <laughs> she looked at it, and she saw it sitting right on the yacht, right, right. on the boat. And I came down, and I did the walk of shame. Which was a lot of fun, but uh, a really good vacation, a good time, good to connect people. And I want to say, as we talk about our phones and on this date, this is our two-year anniversary of talking about COVID. This yes. is the day as we are here recording this podcast on exactly March 16th. So for me, sports went away between March 14th and 17th before the NCAA tournament. And for two years or so, we've been talking on the podcast. I've been talking on radio. You've been doing news radio at the highest level in L.A. And most of it's been about how to get through COVID. It really has. There are, And there were times, it's amazing, I've watched a pattern over the last two years where we thought we were out of it. So I'd be leading with COVID, leading with COVID, leading with COVID for six months in a row. And then we kind of thought we were out of it and it eased up a little bit. And then it would, there were these waves that would come back. And then we were leading with COVID, leading with COVID. We did have also a time where we were led with uh, Black Lives Matter and riots and and, uh, and uh, police issues and everything, which overtook COVID for a while. So as we were all trying not to get COVID and cough at COVID on each other, people went into the streets, which, is, which was not convenient for trying to put the kibosh on a, a worldwide pandemic, but it happened. And that ended up being the lead story. But for the most part, it's it's been COVID, COVID, COVID for two years. Yeah, and a lot of people have stood with us on all these platforms and listen to us as we've tried to not be the voice of reason, but just talk about the news, right? The accurate numbers as other people have been all over the place on it. We've made, you sure were, by the way, from day one, you were right about that. You said, don't start. These are human beings. Don't start project predicting numbers. It's not an election. Don't start talking about numbers and making predictions about people's lives. And people tried to do that. Remember, downplay it. Well, uh, people guessed wrong. They guessed like it was a football game or an NBA game. They guessed right. what the number would be. They guessed life and death. They and said it wouldn't be guessed, any different than the yeah. flu. Right. Some people thought it would be less than 1,000 people. And look at the number now. That's the same thing with the war that's happening in Ukraine. There's no need for predictions. No one gives a shit. If you think it's going to end in three weeks or six months. Right. Or you're going to predict how many people die. There are actually people who do this. They do this on social media like it's a game, and it's life or death as we watch this on television. I have it on right now in my studio, all these screens here. It's horrific. 
So just get out of the way. Just watch the news. Talk about it with people. But don't inject yourself into the news making predictions about something you have no clue about. And thinking that all the coverage, there's some kind of conspiracy about all this coverage. That they, the media, are doing it because fill in the blank. And it's so funny, and I joke with my friends about this liberal or conservative about now that I'm a news anchor, and I joke about now that I'm part of the news media elite. I said, I have to wait every morning to get my my talking points from the shadow government and the Illuminati and the liberal media. And, and the joke there is I don't get invited to those meetings and I don't get there eat to those, and get those emails. You know why? Because they don't exist. It's, it's just individuals in news for the most part throughout this country. People who work in news are just trying to get it right. And, you know, there's no liberal uh, spin on a forest fire or a COVID death or a tornado or a tsunami or a snowstorm, a rainstorm, a hurricane. And there's, you know, there's no Illuminati or shadow government trying to tell us how to cover the car accident, the fire and the warehouse downtown. It's silly when people think that there are this Algonquin roundtables of people trying to decide how to spin the news. Most news people are just trying to get it right. One of the things we were going to talk about, it we'll save it for another podcast, is about the changing guard of play-by-play. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman going Ooh. to Monday Night Football. Yes. That's a big deal. Aikman's making $18 bucks. Joe Buck's giving up baseball at the level that he had at Fox. But I don't want to talk about that because I want to say the most important broadcasters of all time remain right now, the war correspondents. A couple of them have lost oh, their yeah. lives recently. Right. And we, we talk about, oh, this guy makes $18 million, but the other guy made 16.5, and he might leave the network. They do one game a week. One game a week, and they're very talented at it. Yes, yep. I'm not discounting that. Nope. But how about the war correspondent over there in Kiev as missiles are going over their heads and people are dying and they're doing their job for far less money? Those are the great broadcasters in the history of media. Yeah, and you got to put your put your bias aside. If you see somebody that you're not the biggest fan of, like Anderson Cooper, and he's standing in Kiev, you gotta you gotta give him credit for that. He's not lobbing pre- silly predictions or liberal opinions from Atlanta or Washington or New York. He's where the action is, and he's done the same thing with tsunamis and hurricanes over the years. He rolls up his sleeves. And goes to where the news is. That takes balls. Yeah, I think it does. It's wow. different than me doing a preseason sideline game. Right. It's, raining. it's raining, and I go to commercial, and I say, can I get a hat, please? Get a hat, please? It's raining. I'm on an NFL sideline. Can I get a hat? Please, can I get a hat? <laughs> yeah, those guys are, are those guys are really amazing. I my, A friend of mine is in Poland. On the Ukraine border, Steve Futterman. You've met Steve of Futterman I've before. Met Steve. We Fantastic news. CBS News, right? At CBS News Radio, he goes to where all the top stories in the world are. And he gets to pick his stories, and he's also a sports fan, and that's how we know him. Because when the NBA Finals or there's a championship fight, he goes and covers that. But right now, he's choosing to cover this. And so I, I text Steve Futterman first of all, not knowing that he's on the Poland-Ukraine border. And I tell him, this is several weeks ago before he might or might not have known, but because he's a sports fan, I told him, you know, and he's an L.A. guy. I said, the mayor of Kiev has spent most of his life in Los Angeles. He's an American citizen. He's a former heavyweight champion. He's Ukrainian. 
you know, he's a Vitaly Klitschko. And I think that that's a, you know, people need to talk about it more. It's amazing. And he's staying there and he's fighting. And I just thought, just in case Steve didn't know that, I wanted to fill him in. It's become far more now. Uh, people know that now, but this is a few weeks ago. And, and I don't think a lot of people know that he's, he's lived most of his life in L.A. They were, you know, they were running away from the Soviet Union when they were boys, he and his brother. And Steve Futterman texts me back and says, from the, from the Ukraine-Poland border, and said, uh, a daughter of a friend of yours from Elmira is dating my son. That's what he texts back. <laughs> he said, that's this text back from the Ukrainian-Poland border. And I said, who? Oh, my God. What a, you know, because I think the universe is amazing. And he said, well, I'm busy here in the Ukraine, so I'm not sure of uh, all the details yet. <laughs> we'll connect you on Facebook. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so shout out to Steve Futterman, who's over there on the Ukraine, Poland, a Polish border, and covering the immigrant uh, influx there. And, uh, yeah, those guys are incredible. The page one reporters who are, who are over the years, no matter what it is, you know, people talk about all the biases and, and are paranoid about biases. But the page one reporters at the newspapers, the major newspapers around the country, just trying to get it right. They're amazing. Well, it's a good way to wrap it up because people make fun of me in my neighborhood because I don't walk to the mailbox or past it. And now we have war correspondents going into the <laughs> battle as I won't walk past the mailbox in Summerlin. <laughs> Thank you for listening to all 33 minutes and 33 seconds of the JT and Looney podcast powered by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.